Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.15 a.m. Central Daylight Time. I know, it's late. But it still is on the uh, 13th of October, 2021. This being episode 491 of Bitcoin and Chris Wood. I'm doing an interview for the first time in quite a while, uh, in fact. So, uh, Chris Wood. Who's Chris Wood? Chris Wood is the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Pixelmatic. Uh, you'll find out clearly, you're going to find out more, but Pixelmatic is a game studio behind Infinite Fleet. Uh, Infinite Fleet is a video game that uh, is being, uh, well, was the brainchild or is the brainchild of Samson Moe, uh, chief science, or chief science, <laughs> he's not a Vulcan, chief strategy officer of Blockstream, but he's also been in the gaming industry for a very, very, very long time. In fact, that's where he came from when it comes to uh, how did you get down the rabbit hole. Um, in fact, uh, Samson Moe was the very first interview that I did for this show. And it was about Infinite Fleet because it was Infinite Fleet is one of the very first video games that is utilizing, uh, uh, well, it's utilizing the Liquid Network. And we'll find out way more about that. And Liquid Network is one of the side chains for Bitcoin. And it's, I don't consider it a shit chain. I just don't. I'm sorry. And in fact, in this interview, we're going to talk about some things that are going to rankle your ass. Okay. As, as listeners of this show, you know, I know you guys are hardcore Bitcoiners. So you're going to have to grit teeth, brother, when it comes to NFTs and tokens that are not actually Bitcoin because they, are the only the only time that any of this stuff makes any sense to me whatsoever is inside of a video game and even then I got a real narrow scope. I like I'm not I'm not any kind of NFT buff when it comes to to games that have NFT in in them when it comes to the Ethereum chain or god forbid Tron or any of that stuff. But Liquid Liquid's different because it's a side chain to Bitcoin. That would be like, and if you don't, I mean, it's not that you have to like it. I'm just saying it like for the people that say, well, it's just, a, it, you know, liquid's just some, and, and then make some derogatory remark, right? Well, the same thing could be said about lightning because lightning isn't exactly Bitcoin either, is it? It's a layer two technology, but it's settlement layer is Bitcoin. If your settlement layer is Bitcoin and you're not doing any kind of chicanery, then I'm, I'm okay. I really am. I'm okay. Because at one point or another, we're going to have several layer twos and several layer threes and all that kind of stuff. So when we talk about the, uh, the, the token involved and some of the things that are involved, they are on the liquid side chain. Their final settlement is Bitcoin. Okay. So let's keep that straight. Second thing to keep straight, NFTs. 
I don't like Ethereum rocks. I'm sorry. If you're, into, I don't know why, if you're into Ethereum, why you'd be listening to this show, but spending $100,000 or a million dollars on a rock NFT that you then have to prove that you own by showing some poor normie an Ethereum transaction, that to me just seems like a lot more trouble than it's worth. I've said it several times before on this show. The only place I can see right now that a NFT has any value whatsoever is the value in its utility. And right now, the only utility that I can actually see is in a video game as an in-game asset, whether it's a game, a sword, a spaceship, a horse, you know, in, things like that, things that you use inside of a video game. When those are NFTs, I'm actually okay, all right? Because that's the only things that make sense. But again, I shy away from anything that's going to settle on any other chain than Bitcoin because the security isn't there. It, there there's the, the, the chains involved are too convoluted, they're too centralized, and they're too in the hands of too few people. So please understand when we get into this interview, these are the caveats that you need to understand that are, you know, that are going on here when we talk about the various tokens involved and uh, the NFTs that are involved and why they exist the way they exist. Without further ado, let me introduce Chris Wood, the COO of Pixelmatic. And we're here with Chris Wood, uh, the Chief Operating Officer of Pixelmatic. Uh, Pixelmatic is responsible for the upcoming release and what is now in alpha, a video game called Infinite Fleet. And if you guys remember, my very first interview that I ever did in this podcast was with Samson Mo and his art director of Pixelmatic, Wayne Wong Chong. So it now seems that we've come all full circle. How are you doing today, Chris? Yeah, real good, David. How about yourself, man? I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing really, really well. And um, so let's, let's just plow into this. It's probably been close to nine months to a year that I did the, the initial interview with Samson Mo and Wayne Wong Chong. So uh, Kenya, what's happened over that nine months with, uh, with Infinite Fleet and Pixelmatic and that, that whole thing? Can you give us a little bit of like catch up on that? Yeah, sure. It might take us a while, you know, <laughs> like it's been, <laughs> I don't know, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride, right? Um, so I guess over the past year, the main things have been um, the drop of our alpha of the game. So people are actually playing it now, which was a huge milestone for us because I've been working on this thing for quite a long time from the conceptual stage where it was just essentially a bunch of hand drawings about, you know, four or five years ago to something that's really a full-fledged beast, shall we say, and, and people are actually getting in there and enjoying it and, and playing now, uh, which is really incredible. And the, the feedback that we've gotten from the community so far is that they're just blown away um, by, by kind of how far along it is, because I think there's a lot of projects in this, this space that are you know, mostly like a white paper or something and, and, and raising a whole lot of money on, on essentially an idea, uh, but haven't really had anything that's come to fruition yet. So it's actually really great to have something that people can get their hands on and play and really enjoy. Um, and I think most of our you know, fans, our players are really excited about the direction that we're going. Uh, on the other side, of course, we also, well, we just um, 
only a few days ago, finished our public raise on Stocker.io. So we were doing a security token offering on there. Uh, we raised nearly a million on Stocker publicly, and we've we've raised oh I don't know it's it's, it's about seven point five million in total um, so far, and we've still got more to go. Um, you know, there's there's still a, a little bit of a road ahead, but it's very exciting times indeed. Yeah, I want to actually ask you about the the decision to go alpha so early in that in this particular project, and you know. Looking at like looking at some of the player feedback and 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 things that I've seen, it's very clear that to me that out of because I've been gaming since, well, I, I'm going to end up dating myself, but I was pump <laughs> you know I was pumping quarters into asteroids in the mall. That's how long ago I started playing video games, and <laughs> you know so I've come up from you know like stand up console games to, you know, through Atari 400, through, you know, Nintendo NES, the Super NES, all the way to PC. And, you know, here we are today. And one thing that I can safely say is that I don't think I've ever seen a game of this magnitude, a triple A game released in an alpha version so early. Can you, how how come? Because I like, let me, let me kind of go back a little bit on that. I've seen a lot of alpha projects that weren't released until like, I don't know, three, four years after, you know, initial monies were gotten, the initial team put together, but this one, and it looks good. If you see, if any of you guys out there in the audience have not seen screenshots or gameplay video from Infinite Fleet, you probably need to go search that out because it's, it's something that you might want to see. Um, I've, this is the earliest one I've ever seen. Is that right? Or is there any other project that's gone out this early? Oh, I mean, there's, you know, there's still a lot of uh, projects out there that do, do, you know, fairly early access stuff. Um, but for us, I think it's really just that paradigm of getting something tangible that players can get their hands on as early as possible. Because I think that, like I said, in the opening, you know, there's a lot of projects out there where there's not really anything that you can touch and feel and, and, and whatnot. And I think that as well, our whole ethos in building this game has been that the community has kind of been along on the ride with us. That doesn't mean necessarily that the community determines the path of the game and what's going to be in there. Of course, that's something that we're building because our team has an unbelievable uh, pedigree of expertise. You know, people who've come from Age of Empires 4, for example, Company of Heroes, you know, which is the top uh, the 20th highest um, critically acclaimed game of all time on Metacritic. So, you know, we've obviously got some great brain power there. But what we really wanted was this early feedback from the players to say, you know, are they enjoying it? Watch, you know, let, let's let's see how they feel about the, the path of the game and whether we're doing the right thing. And so far, our feedback has been very much ratifying our vision. You know, I think most people who get their hands on it can see where this is going. You know, we're talking about this procedurally generated galaxy where you can carve out your own empire as such within the USF um, to be able to customize and control and synergize a fleet of ships, which, which all have exciting skills to colonize planets, to build space stations. We can see where the vision's going here, even though the alpha is really just a case of, you know, uh, quite quite narrow scope, just combat and mining, which is fine. That's kind of the core of a lot of uh, MMOs and things. 
but we all know where this is going. We know the social structures that are going to be involved here. We know how immersive this is going to be because it looks great. It feels great. You know, one of the most difficult things when you're building a game is just the, the camera and the, the movement and the characters, you know, how, how you actually just interact with it in the core level. And even just moving around in our game is actually really fun. You know, I mean, have you, I don't know if you've actually dove in there yet, but even just, you know, setting your engines on full and flying around Hogna Station, it's just a real laugh. You know what I mean? It's, it's really yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the pedigree of the team and, and at one, we'll need to touch, touch on that, but I want to go back to your pedigree. You're the chief operating officer of, of Pixelmatic and uh, you wear a lot of hats. Can you kind of, <laughs> kind of tell the, the audience what, what does a COO of a, a video game company do? I mean, at least from your context. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a great question. I mean, a COO in general, I think it manif that position manifests very differently in, in all types of different organizations, right? Um, I started in the company as a game designer slash project manager or essentially, essentially a producer, I guess, in the first stage. Um, and then obviously grow it grew into the COO role for more um, I guess the external stakeholder management. So we're talking about obviously talking with investors, um, doing things like this, you know, obviously going on podcasts and and uh, talking about the game, building relationships, but of course also still a lot of the internal sort of HRE stuff as well. So as you say, uh, you know, certainly many hats, um, but really I guess what I see um, my role is is to take Samson Moe's vision, which is an incredible vision. From the moment he spoke to me about it, the first time we met, I was absolutely engrossed and just was, was so excited about this vision. And I think my job is to certainly help, support, and drive the reality and the realization of that vision in, in any way possible, you know, even when sometimes it you know, it might be a case of talking to investors, might be a case of dealing with our budget, <laughs> you know, and whatever needs to be done, I suppose, to make his vision a reality. All right. So we, we've talked about <clears throat> a, a lot of times I'll, 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 I've listened to tons of podcasts with people interviewing game developers from, you know, different slots. And one of the things that falls by the wayside is, is that the podcaster and the guest assume that everybody listening knows about the game that, that we're talking about. <laughs> and that's not always the case. Can you give us some backstory on what Infinite Fleet is as a game? Yeah, we probably should have started with that, shouldn't we, David? My apologies. We, we probably, <laughs> most of our, our <laughs> listeners here probably have no idea what we're talking about. So, yeah, I'm the podcaster, yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Infinite Fleet is a massively multiplayer online action strategy focused game. So when we talk about MMOs, massively multiplayer online games, we're talking about things like EVE Online, World of Warcraft, these immensely social immersive experiences where thousands upon thousands of thousands of players are playing together. In fact, recently Amazon dropped a, a new one uh, called New World, I believe, that uh, had over, what was it, 700,000 players playing together at the same time? I mean, it was it was a really incredible uh, hit that they had. So these things are just massive experiences. Um, and Infinite Fleet in particular has a sort of retro feel to it. You know, we're very inspired by kind of 80s mecha anime shows and, um, 
you know, we really like that aesthetic. So our ships look really cool and they all transform into massive robots, <laughs> which is really ace. Um, and your job within the United Soul Federation, which is humanity's kind of uh, militaristic uh, organization, I suppose, is to really support the war effort and fight back against these merciless Atrox aliens that are here to essentially come and wipe us out. Um, and we don't know why. We've no idea why they've come. They've suddenly appeared during this period of expansion and colonization that the humans were going through. Um, they came without warning, without communication, and just started obliterating colonies, killing billions and billions of humans, destroying space stations, uh, even mining constellations and whatever else. Um, so we, we don't know what to do. We, our point is just to, to simply fight back. Uh, all, all communications have gone dead and, and we're just hoping for the best right now, hoping for the survival of humanity. And when the, the beta drops, when the players come in, is at the turning point of this war where we've been getting hammered for the past decade and we have the brand new Polaris generation ships, which have the transformation engines, which use... Um, all, all, a whole plethora of different weaponry and new technologies and finally we're at the turning point where we're bringing the fight back to the atrox and it's your job since our civilization has been kind of you know destroyed and taken down to ruins is to build it back up and take back our territory and uncover the mysteries of why the atrox are coming to defeat us and what we can do about it so that that's the base storyline that that's leading the whole game off, but that's that's not the end of the story. And what's kind of special about what's going on here is the plans for the player to drive drive the story in what's called mm. directed narrative, right? Correct. Directed narrative is something that I would say is a really strong, unique selling point for us. It's part of the vision that really excited me when I was coming to join Pixelmatic. Um, in that, as like you, David, I've been a gamer since I was very, very young, essentially to the point where I could, you know, physically grasp a controller. <laughs> I've been playing games and many, many games in the past have um, proposed that, you know, you can change the storyline. Everything will change by the decisions you make. And usually that falls a little bit short, like a game, for example, like Mass Effect, which is a trilogy I really loved, really loved that trilogy. But unfortunately, all the different pathways that you could take kind of went to the same end, which was a bit disappointing. Now, with Infinite Fleet, um, we are taking DevOps and LiveOps to the, to the next level, really. Our team is going to be essentially writing narrative based on the actions of the community. So how this would physically, you know, how it would really mechanically take shape is I always like to use an example where, let's say we have a raid. So we promote this raid and we say, okay, you know what, uh, the Atrox are coming, we need to defend Earth. Um, so prepare commanders, you know, upgrade your ships, do your thing. And there's going to be this raid that goes on for two to four weeks or something like this. And all these players, thousands and thousands of players come together to try and fight back. Now, if we fail, then earth could be completely obliterated, destroyed. And that just completely bounds the narrative in a completely new direction where we're some kind of nomadic race, uh, trying to find a new home. Right. And, and obviously the narrative that, that, that goes with the game on that will will be shaped by that. So, of course, you know, you, you have to be realistic. You can't have millions and millions of, of developers all making thousands of thousands of different branches of storyline. But what we do say is, you know, we'll we'll have a point, at the, you know, here where the storyline might go in 
two or three directions and then we'll build from that point and and the history of the game will be determined uh immutably i suppose to use the language of the day for for the you know the rest of time of, of the game's uh, lifespan but also i mean that's kind of like a very macro level where you know the entire community might be involved in such decisions but there's also little individual ones as well so another example i'd like is that perhaps um you know humanity we don't have like stealth technology yet or whatever then an individual player when they're out there discovering you know looking um exploring new planets and things like that they may come across some relic or some blueprint or something like that that gives them access to a new technology and then once they've done that they would be able to share that with the entire uh, usf as such and that discoverer of such a technology would be written into it as you know david you're you are the person that found stealth technology that is now spread across uh you know everyone's got access to that tech now you, you know what i mean as, as a kind yeah. of an example so there's that kind of individual level and massive macro level community as well now <clears throat> excuse me on the massive macro level uh, like, let go back to your example of the earth being destroyed and all of a sudden the game shifts into, well, clearly nomadic style things going on. It sounds to me like this sets up a situation where the directed narrative is a, is a conversation between what the story writers might set up, the players somehow or another either succeed in saving earth or fail and and let's say that they fail. And then now all of a sudden it goes back to the story writers where they've got a directive from the players and the players actions so that they've taken off in a new direction and then yeah. it just kind of cycles. And so there it's a con it's more like a conversation between the people building the game and the people playing the game, but it's not, it's not one-sided and it's not a brief conversation either. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and like I say, I mean, of course, mechanically, we need to, you know, give a path A or B, you know, it can't be completely open ended, because, you know, you, you can't right. build a team at that scale, it's just impossible. But it still is a, a unbelievably immersive, I think, because um, you, you know, your actions have consequences, right? Be because maybe you didn't recruit enough friends to come and join the battle or, or maybe, you know, there's, it could be really tight and just the final moment just got snatched away from us and then just spins us tumbling into this whole new era. Um, you know, it, it, can, it can be very exciting um, the way we work with that. And this is something that really pulls me in because I think that when you're playing an MMO, you're motivation to play an MMO really is immersion, right? You want you want this second life. An MMO isn't something you just casually pick up and play. This is something that you delve into, you know. Um, and in these worlds, players want to be the hero. They want to have to be to have a legacy. They want to be written into the annals of history in, in this kind of alternate universe. And we're really leveraging that. We really want to make sure that players feel incredibly important and that they were part of something, you know? Yeah, we're definitely going to come back to that because there's a there's a space there's a space for that and where that written into history occurs. But before we get there, Samson in an interview about the game mentioned this notion of proof of participation, and and, and we're in this situation <clears throat> where we're coming up we're, we're coming up with there's several. I'm just, I don't want to lump everybody into the same thing, but there's several other games <laughs> that are blockchain games. 
And there's this narrative coming down from it that's, that's called play to earn. And this is called proof of participation. And it's very different than the play to earn crowd. Can you tease those two threads apart as to why proof of participation is different than play to earn? Sure, 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 sure. Um, right. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really great question. I think primarily when we were building infinite fleet, it was never intended to be a quote unquote blockchain game. You know, we weren't even considering implementing crypto on it within it, uh, since about, I guess, two, maybe, maybe three years ago. Um, in the first place, we just wanted to make a great game. That's, that was always the intention and it still very much is our primary intention. Now, what crypto or the liquid network and, the INF token, shall we say, that we're going to be using, allows us to do is to create a free market economy within and without the game. So proof of participation is where a player, once they have shown that they have joined the game, taken part in raids, being the MVP or done whatever they've done, they will be rewarded for free with an INF token. Um, this token is not something that we're raising money from. It's not an ICO that no one, you can't buy it from us. You just, you just can't buy it. You know, people have asked, I'm getting telegram messages daily. How do I buy the INF token? No, no, you cannot buy it from us, you know, at all. We're not raising money from it. Um, you earn it by playing the game. And this is all done very much under the hood because our goal was, was to go for the average gamer. We wanted average MMO players to enjoy our game and just play it without even having to think about crypto, without having to even know the word Bitcoin. And so when you open an account, we open up a wallet for you and basically under the hood. And, and when you play, you will receive INF directly into that wallet. And what you can do with it is trade your ships, your time, your, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a plethora of different things that you'll be able to trade on uh, primarily an in-game marketplace, but also because of its portability, it will be transferable to other platforms as well. So the, the user journey here is that I go out into the stars, take part in a raid, get some INF, um, and chat with some other people in my guild or what we call divisions. And someone goes, oh, you know what? I actually extracted my tokens and took them onto this other platform the other day. It was really cool because I was able to trade them for this other digital asset. Um, and the player who's never heard of crypto goes, oh, and how on earth did you do that? What, what, what do you mean? You extracted, you, you, you know, you took it onto another platform. How on earth do we do this? And that's how the Trojan horse gets rolled out where people are naturally adopt, you know, they naturally adopt uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies because they, they learn about it through this uh, social experience that they will have in Infinite Fleet. So what makes us different is in the first place, simply that, we're, you know, this is not something that we're saying, you know, you'll play Infinite Fleet and you're going to make a shit ton of money. That's 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 not what we're saying here. What we're saying is that when you play the game for, you know, sometimes people play these MMOs for thousands of hours, you'll be able to take your ship or whatever else that you fleet that you've customized, synergized and whatever else. And you will be able to openly trade that in a market wherever you like, if you want. And it's not something that is core to the experience of the game at all. Uh, it's something that is an additional features that players can utilize, and we are not monetizing from it whatsoever. So I think the difference is that we don't shove the blockchain down people's throat. We're not saying, you know, you, you, you know, you need to 
buy an, a digital asset from this wallet and open that wallet and do this and that and the other in order to play. We're not saying this is an investment or anything like this. We're saying it's a game, you know, just come and enjoy the game. And, you know, obviously you can feel free to trade those digital assets should you wish. Yeah. And, and this brings up a really good point because I know some of my listeners are about the most hardcore Bitcoiners that you'll ever find. And I know that some of them are going, ah, INF is just another coin. And I've got, I, I got, I got to push back on that because the only thing that I've ever seen in, in cryptocurrency that I can wrap my head around is it, or wrap my head around is a situation like this because I used to ask the question, why don't you, not just, not you, but basically video games in general and, and game companies just adopt Bitcoin. But you bring mm-hmm. up a really good point here about the in-game currency only being generated inside the game. You can't buy it inside the game and you can only trade with other players. And then eventually I'm sure that you'll be able to, to kick it out on a platform like what you were saying. But the point being is that if a game company uses Bitcoin natively, being able to have inputs into the game and and outputs out of the game, then all I got to do is come up with a whole bunch of Bitcoin, shove it into my game wallet, and I can essentially rule the world. Whereas in this case, everybody kind of comes in a clean leveled playing field and they can't stack their wallet unless they want to play the game through proof of participation. Is that kind of where well, we're going here? Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, look, it, it, on the Bitcoin side of things, you know, as you know, we're selling ships on our store and all this kind of thing, these limited edition ships, which you don't need to buy. It's a free-to-play game. It obviously gives you more more swanky stuff and whatever else. This is it's a free-to-play model like, like, like many other games. That it's, uh, you know, like Fortnite or whatever else. It doesn't necessarily give you an edge, but... Uh, you, it's really up to you if you want to do that. You can buy those ships with Bitcoin, right? So if I guess if you wanted to get the quote unquote upper hand, it's and not necessarily that you would. It's more trading time as opposed or or, or Bitcoin or fiat. Um, you could, you know, buy a ship with Bitcoin, and then in theory, in future, you could take that ship onto the marketplace and trade it for INF if you, if you wanted to, right? And then the INF can be traded for any any other ships on 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 the store or anything like this, but what, um, you know, using liquid and the INF token as such allows for things like atomic swaps, where we have this trustless nature of trading. So, you know, you don't need to trust our centralized database, which we make no qualms about the fact that it is a game. It is a centralized game and we're not saying it is a decentralized game by any means. Right. What we are saying though, is that you can take things into your own wallet and trade things peer to peer without us as an intermediary, should you wish. Um, and take that onto to other other platforms. But the point is, you know, it's it's it allows players to, like I say, trustlessly trade because back in the day, it solves this issue of the black market trading that would happen in World of Warcraft uh, and and Guild Wars. When I was a kid, I used to play Guild Wars. I loved it. I one time when I was like eighteen or something, spent ten British pounds on I think it was a thou- a thousand platinum at the time, and the user journey was just horrific i went to some you know some website um which i have to hope was you know i guess legit um say yes i want this pay and then someone would uh, arrive at a location in in guild wars i i was there first i was waiting for like 20 minutes before this guy or or 
girl arrive. And uh, <laughs> I was just like sweating profusely the whole, whole time, hoping that they would arrive and give me my platinum. Otherwise, my 10 quid just got wasted. So it solves <laughs> this issue. It just, open, it just opens up the digital marketplace in the game. Like I say, Infinite Fleet is primarily a game. It's a free-to-play game where we monetize in a, very, you know, in a fairly traditional fashion, like in Fortnite and other MMOs. Um, but we open up the doorway for players to be able to extract value from their time in the game. Right. So, we, you know, we've talked a bit, we've talked a bit about the ships, but the ships kind of are, I don't know that, you know, the, the, the way that, it, the way that everything looks, it seems to me that the ships are kind of like the star of the show right now. It, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, you're not like, I don't know, most MMOs that I've ever played, you, you're centered around building up your character. Yeah, you know, you, your avatar, your strength, your dexterity, your your experience points, but all this actually kind of flows into your ships and your fleet. Is that is that not the case? Or yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the whole sort of where the configuration is going to uh, going to be coming in is just that synergy of building an awesome fleet, right? So for us, we have two classes of ship currently, which is the Centurion and Cruiser classes. So the Centurion is something that you will directly control in this sort of third-person view. You can get up very close and personal, use WASDA to control it, you know, uh, in, the, in, in the three axis and, and whatever else, and basically physically move this big, thick, you know, hunking cruiser around. And the other fleet, sorry, the, the Centurion around, and the other cruisers around you will, will, will follow you, and you'll be able to put them in different formations and things like that, and they support your fleet. But you'll also be able to go into a tactical map where you can give direct control to your fleet into where they can go so you can set up pincer and ambush movements and positioning and you've you know like i say you've got all three axes there so you can go up down left well i was gonna say up down left and right in space but you know what i mean yeah 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 <laughs> you can go in full 3d movement there um and each ship has an attributed skill so for example the cannon uh, carrier has this incredible you know meaty cannon thing this artillery cannon that just blasts things in its way um, the Lancer has this barrage of, of rail-assisted missiles and, and so on and so forth. And so you, what you have is like a skill build at the bottom bar there where you have synergized your fleet to be able to create a combination of really effective um, skills that work together, right, to, to overcome the enemy. And then when you take that with, you know, 8, 16, 32, 64 players playing with you on a massive scale things look really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the, uh, there's so, so much gameplay that it's just, some of these things are, and some of the screenshots are, are they're just, they're epic, honestly. They're just, well, dude, uh, they, I've got to say, like they, they, the screenshots you've seen as well, so much in there is placeholder. Like a lot of like the VFX, like almost all the VFX in there is just placeholder, right? This, this, even, even that being the case, it still looks pretty great. But this thing is going to look like orders of magnitude better when when we get towards uh, you know the middle of next year. So the, the, now the thing about the ships and for the audience out there that is you know like a little bit NFT wary, hold on, this is different. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to caveat this for any of the new listeners. I'm not a fan of of NFTs like the Ethereum rocks. I don't get it. The Pepe's. I don't get it, even though that they originally occurred on the Bitcoin blockchain and not anywhere else. Most of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. But when it comes to video games, all of a sudden, there's a real utility here. And the ships, I, I've, I've 
heard different variations where the ships are NFTs, but then again, I've 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 heard from uh, Samson Mo that the NFT is actually a key that allows you to access that ship. Yeah, it is, is is it the second one or the first one where the ship is the NFT? The second one. So we don't build the ship on the blockchain because that'd be slow and cumbersome and a hassle. And again, we'd have to shove blockchain down our players' throats and we don't want to do any of that stuff. So right. yes, absolutely. It's the key to the ship. So the the, the, the physical, quote unquote physical, shall we say, the 3D model of the ship is very much centralized in our database in within the game. But the key to that ship is the NFT as such. So you can trade that key to anyone you want and then you'd be able to drive the ship, right? Um, that's, that's the point because we don't, you know, all we're trying to do here is facilitate trade. Like I say, we're trying to solve the issue of the black market here and make trustless trade with atomic swaps. So that's, that's the point. That's what we're trying to do. We're not, like you say, trying to mint NFT rocks. I mean, it's been, I I can't say it hasn't been tempting based on the market, you know, (laughs) like when people are selling rocks, it's like rocks, we've got in spaceships and space stations and stuff you know, you know. But, uh, but you know what i mean like at the end of the day right. all we're saying we're not saying here that buy this ship it's an investment when that's not that's not the plan right the plan is buy the ship play the game really enjoy it and then later on um you know if you don't want it anymore you can trade it with someone else that's what we're well, saying. let's extend that just a little bit into into theoretical land because there has been talk about game assets as or well, game assets as NFTs in the way that we just described it, because you don't really want the model as an NFT because it would slow things down and make the following even probably more impossible. But there has been talk about taking a game asset from one game and basically being able to port it into another game. Mm. Is that anywhere close to like y'all's wheelhouse on this or is... No, not at all. Not even a little bit. (laughs) So look, so this is how I... Look, I'm not a technical guy. So there might be a whole bunch of listeners here say, Chris, you're a moron. But the way I look at it is, and I'd love to hear feedback if people do, um, you know, do disagree with me here. But the only way that this ecosystem or this, shall we say, metaverse that people talk about where you can take, let's take, for example, one of our ships and put it into Minecraft or some other whatever, you know, Lord of the Rings Online or some other game, is if the game is open to doing that, if the developer agrees to open the IP up to allow it to happen. And mm-hmm. this has happened before. You know, I mean, you don't need the blockchain to create right. an environment where a whole bunch of games could share assets. I mean, that, that, I mean... That's what Fortnite is doing that right now, right? I mean, they have a whole bunch of these IPs that are in their game constantly. Um, so, you know, I, I do actually think like projects like, you know, you've got like Engine and stuff like that. There's some really interesting stuff going on. I'm not just, I'm, I don't want to just like throw it away and, and trash it because at the end of the day, the idea of an open source ecosystem where all these games can share assets within that ecosystem, I think is actually pretty interesting. You know, I think it's actually a pretty, pretty cool idea. But, of course, the, de- the developers and any anyone who's part of that ecosystem has to be open to it and have to build their game to allow it. And it's within the boundaries of that. Um, and if, as far as I can see, I don't know how the blockchain helps that. I mean, may- maybe I'm just being a bit naive or there's something I'm missing here. But I think you could just build that without the, you know, the need for any blockchain 
uh, at all. I, I don't know. Right. Maybe what's your opinion there, David? I, no, I don't I, really. I actually think that you're right. Uh, uh, the, you don't really need a blockchain to do that. But if it was a tradable asset between two yeah. games, <clears throat> then that might be something that you would you would want for the security of the trade. But past that, right. the, prob- the the real problem becomes the rendering engines between different game uh, between different games because Unity is not going to render what the artist of somebody who built an asset for uh, the cry engine is, it's not, it, it's not going to work. So then you get exactly. into, yeah. Then you get into the future of what game engines go. And that is way past the scope of what we need to be talking about because the NFTs lead me to the inexorable question of the XO token. Can you tell us what that is and what it does? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, a bit, a bit of it. I guess a bit of a segue there. <laughs> Just a Absolutely. bit. So, <laughs> so the EXO token is totally separate, uh, and this is what we're raising money from, and it is a security. It is a security token. It's a representation of shares in our publishing company, Exordium Limited. Uh, so Exordium is publishing Infinite Fleet, um, and of course, all the revenues and so on from Infinite Fleet will go through Exordium. And so anyone who invests in the EXO token has a piece of Exordium. Essentially, it offers a net profit share uh, at the end, you know, annually, the end of the year, um, and also essentially equity. So if there's any uh, M and A or anything like that, then EXO token holders will get pro rata the the capital from such an event you know if there's a liquidation event if we get if we get acquired by tencent or something like that then then uh yeah the exo token holders will equally uh receive the uh, capital from that um yeah so so it, it really is just essentially like buying shares in our company but of course with it being a security token it brings all the benefits that security tokens do now of course it's a fairly nascent industry it's fair it's it's a brand spanking new technology i suppose and there's an ecosystem that needs to get built it is getting built faster and faster baffin recently um the the german regulators uh, allowed us to to raise money over there which is very exciting uh sec is making more and more steps in this way so it really is a regulated way to raise money essentially for the project rather than what i suppose we could have done which is to write a really cool white paper uh, throw it around and see who you know see what we can muster <laughs> <laughs> right right so so the so now we get into the tie-in and this is what what is is kind of cool about it about it is that the nfts inf and the xo these are all liquid liquid network um technologies correct Correct. All of them on the Liquid Network. That's right. And, and if if uh, the audience does not know Liquid Network, it is, in fact, built by Blockstream, which is building, I don't know, everything at this point. There's <laughs> <laughs> never seen anything like it. I'm like, I, I saw something earlier today and I'm like, do you guys ever stop doing stuff? It's it, it, it's it's amazing what Adam Back and, and Samson and all those guys over at Blockstream are doing. And it just so happens that Samson is also behind Infinite Fleet, as we've said before. So there's a an interesting tie-in as to how you know <clears throat> how a video game is going to seat itself inside this new technology, or rather, whether it's inside this new technology, or rather it's wrapped around it, or you know, however it, it actually you know 
inter interfaces with it. This is one of the first ones, <clears throat> and there's there's a couple of them, but there's not all that many yet. I'm sure there will be. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's you know many many projects yeah. in the works, but this is going to be one of the games that is the forefront of gaming going into the future. And I actually think that what's going to happen is well, there, I've always had like I I've said it before in this uh, in this interview that. The question was for me was always, well, why don't you just use Bitcoin natively in your game? And and of course the answer is is that World of Warcraft has no intention of replacing their in-game currency with anything else because they make too much money on it. There's also the argument that nobody in the gaming industry right now wants to wrap their head around the regulatory <laughs> landscape that you have to walk to be able to do these kinds of things. So. Here's what I'm just going to throw this out there and see how you react. But I think <laughs> that if they don't start grasping onto this technology now, that people like Pixelmatic, Exordium, and the, the other companies that are going to do this, <clears throat> they're just going to get eaten up. It, it may take 10 years. It may take 20. I don't know. <clears throat> But it seems to me that this is the way that it's going. Is that anywhere close to the way that you see it too, or or am I completely off there? No, I think it's. I think there's a good chance of that. I mean, I think like you know, we had that first generation of blockchain game, right, which was like CryptoKitties. I, I haven't really heard much about CryptoKitties recently. I don't know if it's still going. I guess it is. Um, I don't know. I haven't not. heard. I haven't heard anything about it lately either, Chris. No, it's like, I, I just thought about it then. I was thinking, oh, I wonder if CryptoKitties is still going. Because, I mean, that was like the numero uno kind of blockchain game, right? I mean, it probably wasn't the first, but one of the first that really brought it to light. And then suddenly we had, uh, you know, Axie Infinity and, and these other blockchain games that have popped up that have been really popular. I mean, Axie is doing extremely well uh, with a fairly rudimentary system, right? It's cool. It, it looks, I, actually, I don't want to throw mud at Axie. I think that they're doing actually a really cool job. Um, I think the game looks great. Um but again, it's it's still very much like I guess Farmville on Facebook back in the day. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. I mean, obviously right. a great game that's got really tight systems, but it's not. Uh, it's it's it. That was I guess the beginning of all these free to play models, which have now become AAA. So when Oblivion uh, put down their sort of armored horse that you could buy in DLC, everyone was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, I'm not going to spend. <laughs> three of my English pounds on horse armor. And now people are spending, you know, hundreds of thousands on rocks. Um, but so there's this natural evolution. And I think that blockchain games will, will, uh, or, you know, some, let's say some, some amalgamation, some manifestation of this will, will definitely become mainstream, but we have to get over the UX issues. And this is what we're aiming for. Right. I think, like I say, open markets, open, you know, play to earn model, very interesting because you tap into a whole new, um, sort of segment uh, a demographic segment where people are like oh wow i can actually make money playing games that's cool as hell um and that is that is the dream that's that's a really awesome uh, awesome dream that, that people can actually you know be able to live in these worlds uh these these digital worlds so i think it's it's it will happen but we just need to get over a lot of the ux issues because if you're forcing like i say blockchain down gamers throats uh you know with metamask with unscalable solutions like obviously ethereum gas prices are absolutely insane right mm -hmm. uh building on these kind of things um then 
yeah, like I say, we just need to we just need to make sure that that we bring on the average gamer, make sure that they have a great experience just playing the game, and that they have this feature where that they are able to have this open marketplace and and have I don't want to say real ownership of assets because that term gets thrown around a lot, but at least real sort of tradeability of of these assets. You know what I mean? Um, so, well, so yeah. In the game, well, in in the MMO games that I used to play, I used to play a lot of Ultima Online and a, and a few other ones. Those objects can become very real, <clears throat> very quickly yeah. to players, and it it depends on, you know, if if it's somebody else on the outside looking in, they might look at the player and go, I don't know, you're crazy. Go out, go out, and go fishing. Go do something real. To that player, it's it's different. And I like if if I'm the the person that's on the outside looking in, I I have no ethical base to tell that person what what is real and what is not. But I can guarantee you that some of the people that I played with, they have very strong affinities and very strong attractions to the in-game items that they have. And they're they're ones that they'll just throw away. They don't care. But there are ones that are like, man, it was a great night. Like (laughs) <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they had like a great night, like they went to dinner and had a, you know, a great night with their parents. And then they came home and then they hooked up with friends and they went on a raid and it was like the most awesome epic raid ever. And like, yeah, you know, you're going to attach. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's real and I can hold it or if it's something in a game, the way I think it's the way the human brain works that you want to be able to store the information of your experience into an object. And when you see that object, you, all those memories flow through, like you hear an old song and you remember an old girlfriend, that type of thing. Hmm. Yeah, now, yeah, absolutely. That nostalgia. For, and I think, and I mean, uh, yeah, on, on this note, I mean, I think MMOs just built that nostalgia so much, you know, there's these moments that never kind of never happen again. Right. Because I feel like right. if you go back and play like Resident Evil one or something like that, and you have that amazing moment where the dog jumps in through the window and it shits, you know, you, you get so fucking scared <laughs> the yeah. first time that happens. Well, you know, the second time you play it, you might get a little bit scared. The third, not so much. The fourth, not so much, but it, it you know, it's a nice little nostalgia pang, but that's what it is. But with MMOs, these, events happen that never happen again you talk about ultima online what was it lord lord who that died the developer lord was so- lord, Br- lord british <laughs> lord british how did i ever forget yeah. that name anyway <laughs> when lord british died you know one of our developers was the third ever programmer on ultima online he was there he was at that moment and we talk. you know this is the thing we talk about these moments they become immortalized they're on reddit they keep getting posted up and um that's what we want to craft as well with infinite fleet and you know you talk about the reality of, of these digital items i mean did you hear about i think it was uh, 2004 or five or so i can't remember a little while ago now in shenzhen some <laughs> some guy like i don't know it's not it's not really a laughing matter but he killed his friend over uh. a sword that they were playing on on some mmo i mean for them it was very fucking real he actually went to prison but he actually killed his mate because he yeah. saw he lent the sword to his friend and his friend went off and sold it on some black market and then, uh, you know and then that's that now i'm not saying that no oh, great you know let's let's have people killing killing each other over spaceships no that, that's terrible but you know what i mean it, it, it is very real for a large portion of people i mean a quarter of the world's population play video games 
and, and quite heavily. So, yeah. And it's a multi, or probably at this point, multi tens of billions of dollar a year industry in general. It's, it's oh, a huge. Hundreds of billions. Yeah. Of yeah. Billions. It's, and then when like, you know, we add esports into it, it's just going to get, it's going to get insane. But going back to the fact that, you know, these objects, these objects can be real for whatever reason, whether it's, uh, you know, you're, you're writing your nostalgia into it and then you see it again and go, oh yeah, I remember that time. Or it's so important to you that you kill your friend in real life and go to prison. It's clear that these objects <clears throat> hold something that we, we may not be able to explain why, but we certainly know it's, it's a big deal. And, you know, in a way, from what I understand, this is going to happen with the ships in Infinite Fleet as people take part in raids and, and uh, well, participating in different events that, from mm -hmm. what I understand, those events get written into the NFT key of that ship. And when you trade Correct. that NFT, the ship, that history, on this day, I was in this raid. I'm not exactly sure how that's how that's written but the history of that ship gets traded along with the ship itself correct that's the intention absolutely that's something we haven't ruled it out yet so i, I you know to, just to be to be totally transparent but that right. is our intention absolutely that we roll we, we ride it into the blockchain for sure so it's immutable so this this ship yeah it took part in the battle for earth where in which the earth got destroyed and we all became a nomadic race but you know what this ship killed a whole lot of actrox on that <laughs> in, in that event um but yeah that that absolutely so so in a way all these ships become kind of vessels of history you know um throughout because these games they last for a long time eve online's been going since 2003 right right um so imagine the stories that a lot of these ships have to tell if they are immutable essentially you know and it what what's interesting about that is that there you know it's a uh, the whole game is a freemium model so you get you can get a Polaris hammer, but it's not going to be a Polaris hammer, you know, one of the Mark series that yeah. the Mark series you buy. But it would be possible, like, let's say that I got a whole bunch of Bitcoin and I bought a whole bunch of the most premium, you know, Mark ships that I could possibly get my hands on. And then I just don't play the game, whereas the guy that doesn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of can play this game and get one of the base ships and then go out and participate and write that history into that ship. Then it would be possible that that ship actually ends up being later on of higher value than one of the most premium ships that has no history written into it at all. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, to be, they could certainly do the proof of participation and get the INF and, every, and everything like that. But to be fair, uh, and to be perfectly transparent, I, I need to check this, but currently I believe the free ships won't be NFT, actually. Uh, okay, um, okay. <clears throat> but um, that's not to say that the events themselves won't have you know history and that, that ship will have taken part in it. But yes, I don't, I don't believe our free ships are going to be blockchain. I need to check that out with uh, Sonny and Jason, but I believe that was the last, um, you know, not that the free ships won't be NFT at this stage, I believe. But even if, like, let's say, because there's, I know there's like different mark ships that come in at different prices, uh, like uh, one that costs 40 bucks versus one that costs 80 bucks. Both of those are NFTs and the same, the same scenario could happen where the more yep. expensive ship from the outset ends up being 
not as valuable because it doesn't have as much of a history written into it from playing the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously the value will just be, be based on supply and demand, right? What, what people re- really want, which of these uh, generation of ships are just the most exciting. I mean, what's incredible about RuneScape, for example, is I don't, I've not played RuneScape for a long time, but um, as far as I'm aware, the blue party hat is still pretty valuable. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just the most ridiculous thing because it was just some freebie that was given out on some event, I think, in the early days of the game. And now they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars, essentially. Um, now the, sh- the ships, yeah, I mean, obviously it's like you say, if they take part in these epic events, if that maybe one of the ship was held by Ninja or Mr. Beast or something like that, right. Right. At one right. point, then, then maybe that would, would have some kind of, um, uh, demand to it as well. I mean, who, who knows, right. It's an open, it's a free market. That's the point. We, we won't be able to determine what is uh valuable what is not i mean we can try but <laughs> as developers yeah. we'll do our best for sure but um who knows it's an open market and driven totally by the players yeah i always thought that was that was odd because during my days in ultima online i ended up with a uh with a grandmaster blacksmith and this was back in the day when grandmaster was uh not nerfed uh it they added i don't know if, if you got 100 points in a skill you became grandmaster now it's like 120 i think they added 10 more points so you could be grand grandmaster. And it's like, by that time I was already out, but I was, I was uh, smithing a couple of katanas out of uh, Valorite, which is this, the, it's like, i made a grand, uh, like a grandmaster katana out of the hardest metal that you can get. And you really, you mine in this metal as a miner, it's, it's kind of, kind of dangerous. And when you mint that particular sword and it minces a, a, a true grandmaster sword it prints your name into it as to who minted it and <laughs> i hadn't played the i hadn't played the game i minted a few and just gave them to a couple of my friends i didn't sell them but i came back a couple of years later and this guy just walks up to me and he's like do you remember me and i'm like oh i haven't played in a couple of years it's, let, let me think about it and it comes back to me and i'm like oh yeah yeah he's like i still have your katana hanging on my wall in my house. This is all, (laughs) this it's all digital, you know? And I'm like, Oh my God, he found value in the fact that it's got my character, my avatar's name on it. And then when, when information about uh, infinite fleet started falling out, I was like, Oh my God, that just takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, yeah. Well, imagine if you were able to like buy the armor that the original Leroy Jenkins had when he went on his raid. You know what I mean? (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, we're probably probably getting into a point where many of your listeners like, what are they talking about? I know, I know. (laughs) No, these 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 guys, the guys that'll listen to this one are are probably going to end up being hardcore gamers as as well as hardcore Bitcoiners. But we are coming to the coming up on the hour. And I do want to get your thoughts on your vision of the future of Infinite Fleet, where you guys think it's going to go, That it, anything that we haven't touched on. Uh, we're, we're, sure. What do you see? Yeah, well, you know, Infinite Fleet as an MMO is very much a long-term project. Now, we're doing our best to get this project you know, out as soon as possible. Like you said, the alpha is out. Uh, so we're not, we're not dragging our heels by any means. Um, but our vision is very much for this to be a decades-long project and also to be the, uh, excuse the pun, but the flagship product of, of uh, Exordium Limited, our publisher, which will eventually have other games on a platform which is driven by INF, 
um, and where we can have that uh, trade of digital assets between a whole bunch of games that are on the platform. So our goal is kind of similar to the Steam model. So when Steam, when Valve first made Steam, I mean, they they kind of um, made it a thing by having Half-Life, Half-Life 2, of course, um, Team Fortress and uh, CSGO and all, well, not CSGO at the time, but Counter-Strike. And, um, you know, that obviously attracted players because they're just great games to play. And they they had to download Steam at the time. I thought it was a bit of a hassle because it was the first time I've downloaded such a platform. But then now I have, I think, close to 200 games on my Steam account. Um, <laughs> so the long-term vision is, yes, and I say long-term, we have a platform with where we are publishing a wide variety of games from a whole bunch of different developers. And that INF is something that allows trade openly between all these different um, projects of these different games that are on the platform. That's, that's something that we see as, as truly exciting because, you know, if you can take that ship and liquidate it into INF and then decide, decide, you know what, I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with Infinite Fleet. I want to try the pirate MMO or I want to play the, you know, the high fantasy MMO. So I take my INF into, you know, infinite wizards um <laughs> whatever the, the the high fantasy game and you can buy some awesome magic potions or staffs or, or really cool swords and, and all that kind of thing that's that's how we see this thing where your investment of time in one mmo is almost transferable to other games uh, as well which I, I think is 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 really exciting for the future of exordium limited we, we really aim to be a top studio and really take a large portion of the market market share in the MMO industry. It's something that we're, we're very ambitious about it. Our team is absolutely phenomenal. As you said, driven, of course, by Samson Mo, CSO of Blockstream, but also previously um, an executive at Ubisoft, right? So he was pretty much, uh, along with our other directors, Steve and Keith, they were very much critical on the East Asian success of Ubisoft Studios. You know, they released the Smurfs on Co and Facebook, which was a massive Facebook game with millions and millions of players. Uh, so very traditional, trip, you know, AAA studio. Um, then we have Jason, who was previously the lead game designer on uh, Age of Empires 4. Again, incredible IP here. Wayne, who's been 25 years in the industry. They, he worked on the first ever 3D um, Toon Shaded Spider-Man uh, show uh, developed by Sony. And, and also worked on, you know, FIFA, uh, Company of Heroes, Dawn of War. He's, he's really been on a whole bunch of AAA things. So, we're, we're, you know, we've got this, this veteran team of AAA developers that are building something to stand the test of time rather than a short-term project where we kind of hope some kind of pump and dump with some tokens and then move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's really the goal here, that obviously the people who invest in EXO, uh, which we announced is actually launching very soon, on Bitfinex Securities, so you can, you know, Google Bitfinex Securities, look for EXO, um, and you'll be able to take part in that, um, that that raise and be part of the journey with us, right? You'll be able to get rewards such as ships and things like that and actually get alpha access to the game, but also you'll have a part of our company and part of that vision that we're, we're aiming to build for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but like I say, we're not, we're not, it's a long-term vision, but we're not dragging our heels either. We're very much driving this thing ambitiously. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, I, I, I appreciate uh, you spending time with us to kind of line out what's going on with, with Infinite Fleet and, and Exordium and Pixelmatic and all the different things that are going on. Uh, can you tell everybody how to get a hold of you, maybe your Twitter handle or something like that, if they wanted to get in touch with you? 
Sure. Yeah. Twitter handle always works. So it's just Chris Wood. I mean, there's no weird, weird spelling of that. Just C-H-R-I-S Wood. Um, one, eight, two, one. That's my, that's my uh, Twitter handle. You can find me there. All right, Chris. Um, probably probably well, the best place to be, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is right now. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Uh, thanks. Uh, thank you again. And we will talk to you later. Thanks a lot, David. Man, I miss doing interviews. So I'm going to do more of them. I just don't know where, uh, how. However, I do have a guy lined up that you may, that you may already know. Uh, he's coming up on Thursday, so it'll probably be for a Friday drop. Not sure yet. Depends on how the interview goes. Anyway, anyway, um, hope you enjoyed that one. And that takes up literally the whole hour. So I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.